Welcome to Taking Back Birth, a podcast for women who know the truth about birth and those who want to explore the path of radical birth love. I'm your host, Marin Green. Taking Back Birth celebrates the power you have to make decisions in alignment with your own truth. Decisions not subject to anyone else's authority. Decisions that create experiences that will change your life. Taking Back Birth is a production of the Indie Birth Private Contract Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. This podcast series on mothering is about my role as mother. Whether that is sharing about how I raise my nine children with my husband, or in sharing the challenges, or in pondering the bigger picture, like how birth might influence our ability to mother. I created this podcast to share my heart with you and to inspire community and support around raising kids consciously with love. And to remind you that the true wisdom of mothering can be found within. Greetings, community of women. Happy March. I can't believe it's March already. Oh my goodness. I have not podcasted in a while, and I don't know that I have great reasons for that, except I've been on kind of a break from births, and that's felt just really good. And for those of you that don't know what that's like, uh, it's so lovely to attend births, but then the break is just as sweet, and your life really takes on a different quality, I've found, and so I've really been trying to embrace that. And by that, I mean turning my phone off at night and getting a lot more outside time and time with the kids and extra hikes with my husband and all kinds of things that when you're on call, you sometimes feel like you just don't have time for it all, you know, and you don't want to like use up all your energy doing stuff um, in the event someone calls. So I guess that's what I've been doing the last month, if anyone's been wondering, But I'm really excited today to continue this mothering series. And this will be number three. As I said, when I began this little mini series, I don't know how long it'll last. If people seem to be enjoying it still and things come to my mind and maybe things come to your mind that could be discussed here, then let me know. And otherwise, I guess it'll just run its course. But if you haven't checked out the other two mothering episodes, uh, they're around on whatever podcast app you listen to. You can always find the huge library that we have at IndieBirth.org forward slash podcast archive. People ask all the time, where they can find this episode or that episode. And at I think 150 total episodes now, the podcast apps don't keep them all. So pretty sure iTunes doesn't. I mean, I guess there's only so much storage out there in the cloud, right? So if you are new and you want to see the full spectrum from the very first episode I ever did about seven years ago, then go to that archive page. You'll find everything there. And yeah, I feel like the last few have been potent. At least that's the feedback I've received. So if you're looking for something to listen to and 
again, you're new or maybe you missed um, some of our last episodes. I did one on money not long ago. That seems to have sparked some really positive conversation in our community. And my husband did one um, not long ago with another guy. And that also has gotten really amazing feedback, so much so that he's uh, slated some other men to have chats with that we'll be releasing here. Um, just such a really fantastic part of the conversation and one that I don't think I could have, you know, as a woman, um, the guys really need to have that together. And so go take a listen to that if you haven't. So Indie Birthland, we are thriving on a new platform and I'll keep this brief for those of you that are looking to get to the meat of this podcast. Um, but it's always fun to kind of give an update. You can skip it if you want. Indie birth dot, no, 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 I said it wrong. Um, social.indiebirth.org. So social.indiebirth.org is our new platform to have community. And you should just check it out if you want to. Make a profile if you want to. Join the hundreds of people there already that have migrated from, you know, what we have considered kind of like the icky social media platforms like Facebook. I'm not going to blab on about that. But most of you know that, you know, we kind of left those platforms, Instagram for sure. And there's still some stuff, I guess, going on on Facebook. I'm personally not on either of them. And I really just can't stand them. So when Margot came across this other thing, and it's actually called Mighty Networks, um, yeah, we really, really liked it. And even if you just take a look, it looks really nice, our logo and you know, just the way it's laid out, I think is really intuitive for the most part, pretty easy. People can do the same things they do on Facebook, but it's our platform. So there's no, you know, <laughs> like, um, what's the word I'm trying to say? Uh, there's not going to be anybody telling you that your birth photo is nudity. Let's put it that way. Um, there's not going to be anybody saying that that goes against community guidelines. Um, we'll decide that, but there's not a big brother doing that and there are no ads. And yeah, I mean, it is still the internet. So I guess be forewarned. The internet's the internet. I always say, you know, don't post anything there that you wouldn't want on a billboard. It's still public for the most part, but it is our community as far as we can tell. Um, you know, people that we've known for years, people in our classes and our courses. And so, as you might imagine, there's just great conversation and kind of a common ground, common understanding of how the indie birth community handles things, you know, what kind of perspective we have. And so we always invite new people in there. And if you're in any of our private groups, uh, maybe you're in the school or whatever, then, you know, you'll have the private groups there. But the public kind of network is free. So don't be fooled. Don't think it costs anything. You can just come on over there and be part of the network and post and, you know, check out all the posts. So, so far, so good. Um, it's still social media, you know, for the most part. It just happens to be kind of our platform. So I guess the same risks <laughs> to social media still apply, like you don't want to spend all day on there. But uh, I don't know. I don't think anybody's really doing that at this point, because it's pretty birth focused, as you might imagine. 
So thanks for allowing me to sip some tea here. It is pretty much spring in northern Arizona. The birds are chirping. You might even hear it if the microphone picks it up outside. And yeah, life is good. Life is really good. And all of the kids are doing super well. And, you know, spring is beautiful here. Um, We're outside pretty much all year. Although summer is the time when we spend more time indoors, probably. So yeah, the kids are thriving in their outside world, scootering and biking. And we just had the Sedona Mountain Bike Festival just yesterday and the day before. And we all go to that. We all hang out. It's so awesome and fun. And it's just so great to live in a place where people really value um using their bodies (laughs) and being outside and breathing fresh air and having sunshine and uh, being athletic. We really appreciate that about this place. Certainly not like that everywhere we've lived. And I find that to be a downer. So super pumped that spring is here. Uh, Not always as pumped about the summer that comes after that, but oh well, we'll make it through. Okay, well, that was a solid eight minutes of me blabbing if you were wondering. And today, um, I don't know how long this will really be, but I wanted to talk a little bit about rites of passage. When I said this to my husband this morning, he was like, your rites of passage? And I said, no. I mean, yeah, there are rites of passage as a mother. And I guess the answer actually isn't no, because as our children go through these changes, these transitions, um, I'm calling them rites of passage, then certainly, sure, as mothers, we do too. We experience feelings um, and we learn lessons. And, you know, I'm sure partners do too. But I was going to focus more on, yeah, the kind of transitions that I've noticed over the years in sort of the spectrum of ages that we have and just talk more about that, more about what I think and what I feel. And as always, this is for you to just weigh against your own thoughts and feelings. And if you have older children, I don't think any of these things will be surprising. Um, If you don't, you have maybe really little kids, then maybe it'll be cool that you haven't been through any of these yet, or many of them. I'm sure you have, you will, you have been through some if you have a baby even. Um, But some of the other ones like losing teeth, you know, it's a really fun thing to think about. And if you're not at that point, then cool, you have even more time to put your intention into these transitions that your child or children will go through. So rites of passage is kind of a mouthful. I might swap it out with transition or whatever as we go. But certainly in life, there's so many rites of passage. And specifically to women, I think we all know what those are. In fact, I have another podcast way back there in the archives, dig, 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 about the sacred blood mysteries. And that's a really fun one to listen to if you haven't talking about the rites of passage as a woman and, you know, specifically what those are. So it's not a new phrase and birth is certainly one of the rites of passage. Um, 
my friend Diane, who's a really awesome elder midwife, was here this weekend, and she taught our group, you know, our, our the students and myself, and I always learn so much from her, and she goes off on a million tangents, and it's amazing and wonderful, and she kind of ended the day by saying, you know, like, I'm not one of those midwives that think birth is, like, the best, like, the only rite of passage. You know, it's just one, uh, and so... You know, I thought that was really appropriate. Um, yeah, there are so many. And so what if we consider all of the changes, especially a child goes through, and really, I can't go through all of them. So let's talk about the major ones. So first of all, so many of these transitions, and really, every one, if you wanted to, and you felt this way, could be seen and felt as sacred just that there's change. So having respect for the transitions, I think, is a key component of what I would love to impart today and what I'm constantly reminding myself, for sure. Uh, The first few times I was through some of these things, you know, with my, what are now my oldest children, I don't know how respectful I was because I was just kind of winging it, you know, first time mom. Uh, just going with it. But now I've had this honor and privilege of seeing them so many times that I think I do have a pretty deep respect for this sacred aspect, even around the changes that are considered so ordinary and normal in our culture, um, like losing teeth or, you know, toilet training. These aren't necessarily even seen as rites of passage. They're just like developmental milestones, Uh, which is a really boring way of describing something so cool. And then, of course, there's a flip side of that. Um, Especially newer parents get really caught up often, not always, often in those developmental milestones, but not from this like emotional point of view, spiritual point of view, you know, this purely physical, like, why is my kid not doing the thing? Why are they not crawling? Why are they not walking? Uh, Maybe they need this. Maybe they need that. Maybe they need physical therapy. Um, Yeah. I mean, who knows, right? Sometimes our children do need things and more support. But it's our job as parents to, I think, figure that out from a very conscious place, not a fearful place, so much like birth. So do we want to do things just because we're scared? You know, our kids aren't like meeting this weird chart that a pediatrician has on their wall. Or are we really with them through these transitions? And can we really feel, you know, even in the case of struggle, why our child might be struggling. Um, I have shared Rune's birth story before. It's in our book, Indie Birth, A Story of Radical Birth Love, which is now on Amazon, by the way. And I mean, I've shared it other places. I think it's on our blog and people have heard me talk about it um, on the podcast. So he's 11 now and he was a home birth transport right after birth. Um, He didn't transition, funny enough quickly enough for the midwife that I had attending. And um, that was really traumatic, you know, and sure, you know, of course, there are babies that do need help. And we don't want to ignore that. But what I've seen in my son, Rune, over the 11 years of his life, is that transitions are never easy for him. He's the smartest kid you'll ever meet, and sweet and kind and all of the things. 
Um, but he struggles when things change and he struggles when, I don't know, like the next level is there for him to meet. So that was apparent at birth for him. And so I think he's taught me a lot about sensitivity around this issue. And again, really consulting my mama gut at various points in his life to say, you know, do we need something else here? Do we need more support? Uh, Or is this just him? Uh, Should I just be patient with him? And in the case, you know, in his case, um, it's just that, that I needed to have more respect and more patience for the speed at which he sometimes does things. And again, change, transition is a huge thing. So this idea of rites of passage frames it differently just with that phrase. Um, Because otherwise, I think there is so much pressure for parents, for mothers, around kids meeting milestones. And of course, I'm speaking probably about younger children, like I said, more developmental sort of things, you know, talking, walking, that kind of thing. Um, But that continues, like the transitions continue into teenagerhood and probably even into adulthood, but we're going to stick with uh, kids today. So lots of pressure, lots of expectations. Um, Our parents may have expected things of us that we read at this time. And that's weird if you don't read at that time. Um, My own mother who I love dearly, but who has a completely different perspective on these things. And schooling is definitely one. I made some comment not long ago, you know, about one of my children and why they couldn't read yet. Well, they're not ready. You know, why, why would they read before they're ready? Because of the expectation that you read at this age, you learn that in this grade. Yeah, another reason that school is not part of our makeup um, at a deep level, I don't think. But you can listen to the school schooling podcast for more on that. So yeah, just communicating this pressure, the expectations, and just encouraging us all to sit with those feelings. Um, I could blab on a lot about how that might feel. And I am not immune to those feelings. I mean, I probably am more now, having parented for almost 18 years, but I remember very clearly in the beginning feeling that pressure, again, from my parents, from family, um, from the world, from what you can Google, from the books, from the pediatrician if you're seeing one. Uh, There's a lot of pressure on children to do things at a certain time. And yeah, just not a lot of uh, compassion and patience. We're all so afraid, you know, something is either wrong, which again, you know, what if there is something wrong? That's different. Um, But what if there's not, you know, what if that's just the unique variation of this child, just as we see this in birth and the transition to breathing, of course, you know, as I brought up with Rune, um, and I have a podcast on that as well, just like this, the um, spiritual ramifications of transition. So we all made that very first transition. We were probably all rushed and pressured through that transition. And so it's literally in our DNA that we don't have patience for other humans to do things on their own time frame. There's a lot of um, this is how you do it around rites of passage for children. So, you know, this happens at a certain age. Um, 
you know, you toilet train at this age. And if you get to be this age, then that's weird or wrong. Or there's something, you know, this child is whatever, pick your word, right? Um, They're defiant or we make up our stories and our labels as to why they are not meeting our expectations of timeline. Uh, So that's a lot of the feelings that are culturally out there, as you may know, around transitions. And then there's kind of the opposite too, like no attention, like nobody notices that this kid just went through a big thing. Um, So it can kind of both go, go both ways. And as I offered, I think it's a great thing to just sit with, you know, with your kids or your child and just consider, you know, what's what's presenting in their lives right now um, or even kind of what's up the pike and what your own thoughts, feelings, beliefs, experiences have been around that. And of course, most of us, we really only have how we were treated as children, So that's really all we have when we start out parenting. And it's a very deliberate and conscious effort to look at that honestly and either reprogram or, you know, go with it and say, yeah, that was awesome. Um, Parents all are doing the best they can. And I do firmly believe that, you know, I don't, I really don't have any other way that I think it should have been for my parents to parent me. And I think that's part of, you know, the healing that we all go through too. And the continued healing, because no parent is perfect, not me, not you, no one. And so we will make mistakes and, you know, that. But we can try to be as conscious as possible. And I think this is a great area to be conscious. So there's so many ages, so many rites of passage to talk about. Um, yeah. Where do I want to start? Hmm. Well, I guess we'll start with babyhood and just talk about a few of them just to kind of like point out the obvious. Um, again, I want to honor the fact that as a child is going through a transition that we are too, as the mother, um, the, you know, both parents are and the siblings are, it can also affect everyone. It just kind of changes the dynamic, right? Like when a baby grows up, you know, it changes the whole family. And when a teenager, and this hasn't happened yet in our house, um, when a teenager is ready to leave the house, like that will change the whole family. So again, I think our culture really misses the mark. We just kind of gloss over these things or, you know, we over overemphasize how we think they need to go. We miss the maybe spiritual significance or just emotional significance. And often, and I think I kind of said this, there's some kind of weird story that we've overlaid onto it. And again, I really think that comes from most of our own childhoods and the way we were taught things should go. And again, that's been perpetuated because people aren't, you know, kind of healing their children selves. Um, And that's actually, you know, another huge theme and probably another podcast. Uh, So yeah. So babyhood, uh, my little cove is 13 months now. And I was reflecting, and I have been really since she's been born, that she has ripped through many of the physical transitions. And I think I've shared that. Um, And that's been strange. And, you know, it's also not something that I've wanted to like judge as like 
good or bad, but I've been amazed. I mean, truly, when you have eight other children that, let's say, don't walk till 14, 15, 16 months, and then you have this baby that starts literally running at nine months, that's really crazy. Um, So I've had to just like keep coming back into my body or something with her because she's been so quick at everything. Um, Her birth was like that. Her birth was kind of no big deal, just shot out. And that's how her life has been. So again, that uniqueness, you know, even when we parent a bunch of children, how do we approach each transition with each different child in a way that really allows us to like see it and embrace it. And I don't know that I've done such a great job with that because it has felt like this comparison and it has felt like, wait a minute, I'm not ready for this. Um, And I've not felt like that before. So I was just saying to Jason last night, and I say this a lot, like she was not a baby, you know, should I ever get the chance (laughs) to birth and hold another baby? Um, I will appreciate it in a different way because Cove was in my arms for what felt like minutes. It really felt like she was born and I held her and then she was standing. Um, She was standing at like four months and pulling herself up on stuff And so, you know, she just wasn't a lap baby. She wasn't a snuggler. She didn't want to be held. She didn't want to be cuddled. Um, So her physical transitions to standing, to sitting, to crawling, to walking, to running, to climbing have all been really quick and seamless and easy for her and just surprising. So, you know, that has affected me. Um, It has, you know, I don't even know that I have words for it, but it's just been like, whoa, and like simultaneously amazed by her. So I met this mom yesterday, actually, at the mountain bike festival, Uh, really wonderful people that have a pizza truck. Pizza is amazing. They're called Dough Bros. And if you ever... I don't know why you would come across this food truck. Uh, They go to all kinds of festivals here, kind of in the Southwest. They're fantastic. And so I had a really sweet conversation with this mom. Um, She's the one that runs the food truck. And, you know, we've been seeing each other for four to five years now. And this is the first time we've talked. And it was just really sweet. You know, we were talking about children growing up and how fast it seems like these transitions happen. And how last year her daughter, who's now four, was, you know, um, just different, like being really clingy and not wanting to talk to people at these festivals. And this year had completely blossomed and had made her own like little mini um, like food truck kind of thing. Like she wanted to sell stuff and meet people. And so that was so sweet. Um, And also these people have seen my kids, a lot of them like grow up. So, you know, even though we had, I had never talked to this woman until yesterday, it was really sweet. And um, they give my oldest daughter a free pizza every year because they just remember her and they're always like amazed, you know, how big and beautiful she's gotten and ah, sigh, it's all so sweet and all that. Um, Anyway, I think the real reason I was going to say this is because we were talking about little girls and how strong and confident um, her daughter is. And I was holding Cove and Cove was like 
trying to like walk on the other side of the pizza truck to get a lollipop. I mean, 13 months and she knew like what she wanted and how she was going to go get it. So we were talking about that and just how it's so important, especially with girls to, you know, continually say out loud these qualities, you know, sound silly. Um, But so often we're like, oh, Cove, you're so cute. We can't stand you. And she was saying the same. And yeah, just being reminded to say like, wow, Cove, you are so strong. And I'm really impressed with the fact that you can stand on the coffee table. You know, uh, how do you do it? So maybe that's a great way to kind of process as the mother these transitions is just to kind of speak them out loud and just express how you're feeling. And um, in this case, it's just like, wow, you know, admiration for this really crazy, crazy, sweet, strong, beautiful, very capable baby that I have. So um, that's been unusual. Uh, The other children I've had, you know, it's been I mean, I hate to say more typical, but yeah, more average rites of passage with the physical, uh, the walking and the crawling. And yeah, we were super happy that they did it when they did. And, you know, I don't feel like I've ever rushed any of my children to do that. You know, I don't know how you rush a kid to do that, actually. Um, Maybe you can't, but I feel like often people are, you know, impatient, like, when will they take their first steps? And like, you know, maybe buying things like gadgets or whatever um, to kind of help them figure it out. But they all figure it out. And the latest kid to walk that I had was Rune, who, you know, I've already said has had um, more challenges with transitions. So he didn't walk till 18 months. And he didn't walk until his younger sister was born. And literally, uh, right after she was born, he started walking like he needed to wait for that. And he wanted I think, to probably just be the baby for as long as possible because um, he and Belgium are only like 16 months apart. So, all right, tea sip. Um, Let's see, this is kind of blabby, but I guess that's how this often goes. Uh, So you get the gist. And I guess, again, it's just a reminder slash suggestion that if you're new to parenting, maybe you have a young baby, um, just relish it as much as you can. Just enjoy it. There's always a next stage. And often we're looking ahead so much to the next stage that we forget how glorious it is. And I don't know about you if you've been this way before, but I've always been a little sad when they walk. You know, I always say they go from being four-legged to two-legged. And that's a big deal. You know, it's also a big deal to crawl in the first place um, and to move your body when we're born, we can't do anything really. So these are all just huge things and they happen gradually most of the time. Um, But, and also most of the time they happen, right? Um, Even if it's not quite when we think. And once a kid goes to walking, they don't go back to crawling. And that's, you know, sort of poignant. Uh, It's just the evolution of ourselves as humans. Um, There's always a next phase, you know? So I won't get too caught up in that. But babyhood is, you know, hard and amazing. And again, just happens in this slow-mo, but then all of a sudden it's done and they're walking. So just being patient, I guess I would suggest to those who are looking for a suggestion, not rushing any of it, not letting the relatives or the grandparents tell you, oh, they should be walking by now. Um, No, if they're not walking, 
then they shouldn't be walking. Uh, you know, I guess there's always a balance too with um, giving our babies opportunities, of course, to figure their bodies out. So I do believe in that. And, you know, I guess by that, I mean, um, if you're literally holding your baby like 24 seven, and you never put them down, and they don't get a chance to explore and kind of wiggle around. And yes, they will hit their faces and all of those things. Uh, then yeah, sometimes like the development is not quite on track, which is, you know, terrible way to say it. But you know what I mean? Um, sometimes, yeah, there are ways we hold our old, our own children back is what I'm saying. So, you know, I guess we're all taking a look at that sometimes. And and that's another topic. You know, why why would we do that? Most of the time, it's not intentional. Uh, maybe it feels really good to hold your baby or maybe you travel all the time and it's like, where are you going to put the baby down? And, you know, eventually that kid's going to do all the things anyway. But it could be that uh, they're not quite able to like build up the muscles and such that they need because of something we're doing. Um, a great example is probably those like bumbo seats. And hey, I had one. I think I had one for probably, you know, my fourth baby still. I thought they were cute and cool. And I'd sit the kid on the counter and put them in it so I could feed them. And, you know, maybe they're fine for that. But in other words, there are gadgets and things nowadays that aren't conducive to kids doing things on their own time frame. And they maybe contribute to, you know, ironically, some of the obsession around the timeline. Um, yeah, I'm getting really, really into this podcast. So other kinds of things that come up are eating food. That's also a really big transition and sort of a strange one, I feel like in our culture. Um, you know, I'd be curious to hear how it is actually in other countries and other cultures. Um, my gut feeling about it not about the other culture thing, because I don't know. Uh, but my gut feeling about that as a mother always, except the first time when I just kind of did what everyone else did, which was like, you feed this food at this age and you use baby food and blah, blah, blah. Um, I did do that with Amelia because I just didn't know. But since then, you know, even something like that, it's a very gradual transition. Most of the time, you don't just like feed a baby a, you know, hamburger. Um, the little tastes of things and little bites of things and little nibbles and little licks. And if they're doing that just while you're eating, that's probably going to be how they learn to eat and where their tastes come from. And so my opinion, you don't have to have it, you know, baby food in the jar and that kind of thing. Yeah, it can be convenient, but so tasteless. You know, who eats that way? We don't eat that way as adults. Why are we so afraid to feed babies actual food? I don't know. So I've, you know, relinquished that whole idea for myself and it's worked out great. Baby, our babies just eat what we eat. They eat when we eat. Uh, they might eat other times too. I'm not afraid of a baby choking. You know, obviously you're not giving them crazy big pieces. Um, Cove has only four teeth and she eats absolutely everything. So I think it's also just, again, relinquishing our fear around all of that. Um, you know, some parents are really afraid to feed babies food, whether it's choking or like allergies and that kind of thing. So totally, you have to perhaps respect your own family's history. Um, Cove is actually super allergic to salmon, which is weird and none of my other kids are. 
she loves it though. And I only found that out the hard way, which is, you know, her barfing all over the place. So, you know, you're constantly learning and there are kids that need more attention to that, but sort of in the general way, the way we feed babies is sort of a strange transition. Uh, And then a lot of kids kind of wind up with food issues, which again is another topic, but more fluid in this transition has worked for us. And again, it is a big deal. And every time a baby starts to eat food, it's the obvious, you know, they are not nursing as much. You are not their primary source. And so there's all kinds of feelings around that. And then of course, just the physical, right? Their poop totally changes and becomes less pleasant. And you wish in some ways, I wish I could just go back to breast milk. You know, it's so easy. Everywhere you go, you have it. Um, You don't need to worry about choking or, or any of those things. It's just so easy. So, you know, these are hard in a way. We watch and feel our babies like literally grow up right under our eyes. And it's just bittersweet. Uh, So obviously, a lot of these are about coves. So I do want to like get through a little bit to some of the older kids. Um, But I did want to just mention one more that she's been going through, which is night weaning. So this is a big topic. And maybe I should wait or talk about it again on another podcast. Um, But night weaning. So she nurses all day, was nursing all night. She's 13 months now, and I just can't take it anymore at night. I just can't take it anymore. There's no reason, and <laughs> this is my opinion, there's no reason why she would need to nurse so much at night other than it's kind of a bad habit. You know, she gets plenty of food during the day. She gets plenty of breast milk, plenty of water. Um, so this has been my experience with my children that I find around this age, anywhere from like 13 to 16 months. Um, night weaning is fairly simple. And as a result, we all start to sleep better. We're all happier. And the baby actually starts to sleep more and more deeply. So um, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. And she's in our bed. You know, I don't leave. Sorry, I'm so stuffy today. I don't know what's up. It must be this spring. Um yeah, my husband and I are still, she's still with us in bed. And he's just the one to kind of comfort her when she wakes up. And, you know, sometimes she does cry. I won't lie. And he kind of has to just, we both have to just listen to it for a few minutes until she settles back down and lays back down um, with her little blinky and goes back to sleep. So I've needed to do that for my sanity, for my own physical health. And again, I, I don't have regrets because I've done it so many times and it's always like a breath of fresh air. You're like, oh my God, I'm actually sleeping now. Why was I not sleeping last month? Well, you want to time these transitions. I mean, you know, if we feel like we're in charge of them, which is up for grabs, um, are we, should we be, you know, as the parents, do we dictate a transition? I think that's a really great question. And, you know, I don't, I don't have the one answer. Like I don't have the like, no, always let the child dictate the transition because obviously with night weaning, I'm dictating the transition. And I think that's worked out great. Um, But yeah, there's other transitions and I guess we're just all unique, right? So when these things come up, we each do have to decide, is this something I'm going to facilitate or does nature know best, right? And I think there's equally 
a possibility that nature knows best. Um, Maybe there's a reason. I'm sure there is a reason why she was needing to nurse every five minutes all night. I'm sure there is. You know, I've just kind of drawn my own boundary with that. But I'm sure that there are still needs there, uh, whether they're even just emotional or what. I don't even know. I mean, she can't tell me. So that's a risk, you know, that's a risk I've taken a decision we've made for our family, again, for our own like health and sanity. But you don't have to do it that way. Um, There are plenty of people that are just going to nurse all night until the child just doesn't want to. And that might be age two, three, four, you know. Uh, So again, I guess the question is, not one I can answer. It's just the rhetorical, like, do we facilitate transitions or do we not? And with each child, with each transition, we're deciding how much kind of like force we're putting behind it. And, you know, maybe it's surprising to you to hear that I do night wean my babies. Uh, Because yeah, in general, I'm much more of a like, let it run its course kind of thing. But I'm just not with this particular thing. So, you know, whatever, whatever you need to do. Um, I do want to talk about toilet training, though, because I actually feel the opposite way about that. And again, there's no right answer. I'm not judging. I'm not looking down on anyone if they've chosen to facilitate toilet training, you know, make it happen. Um, If you feel like, oh my gosh, my kid is ready, but they're just not doing it, or they need this piece, I'm gonna get the piece, you know, I'm gonna get the little toilet, I'm going to get the underwear, I'm going to whatever, come up with a plan. Um, There's certainly like all of this kind of information out there on the internet, where you might know someone that's like, oh my gosh, I have the way to toilet train your kid, you know, weekend naked, it's going to happen. So again, we're the parents, we get to decide how we want to participate in these rites of passage. Um, So toilet training, up till this point, I've always just let it happen. I've never tried. I've never encouraged more than the normal, you know, frustration in a way when you're changing another diaper saying, when are you going to use the toilet? Um, I've never done anything more than that other than maybe buy the little, excuse me, little toilet to have around, but never forced anyone. Um, I've tried my best anyway, not to have shamed any of them. Certainly, you know, with not wanting to do it or having accidents, like I totally don't believe in that. And I actually, you know, have to acknowledge my own part in the whole thing, which is my babies are in diapers, right? And that's not a thing cross culturally that is accepted or done. Um, certainly many of you out there, I'm sure, are great at elimination communication and maybe you've never used diapers. Good for you. Nope, never been one of the things that I was able to spend time on. Um, So my babies have always worn diapers. So, you know, I think we have to take the responsibility there. We teach a kid to poop in a diaper from a couple days old, right? And then suddenly we're supposed to want them to do it somewhere else. And that idea, it's physical, right? There's so many physical sensations for them. Um, there's so much. It's emotional. It might be scary to them to think of not having a diaper. It's so, I think it's comforting. I think it's like the routine is so safe uh, for so many kids. So again, our own responsibility in that, uh, maybe that's why I've never felt like I was going to kick a kid out of diapers. 
Um, but <laughs> there's always a but, right? But Deva will be three. Yes, three at the end of this month. And um, I can't say she's showing no signs because that wouldn't be fair. Like, of course she is. She knows what a potty is. Um, she knows that that would be the desired place. Um, she knows what underwear are. She loves to wear them even over her diaper. Isn't that hilarious? Um, so those are signs. Those are signs of getting ready. And I think the best advice that was ever given to me years and years ago, and this was with my third child, Tallulah, um, I was talking to like the Waldorf kindergarten teacher here, who's very wise and and old and has been doing this a long time. Um, I was frustrated, I guess. So there you go. I was frustrated that maybe Tallulah wasn't doing the toilet thing as quickly as I wanted and blah, blah, blah. And this wise elder said, you know, there's many, many elements to being ready. There's physical readiness and there's all of the other ways, some of which we can see, some of which we can't, and we just can't know where the child is at. So in other words, like just keep on, like just keep supporting her and eventually she will hit all the areas of readiness and then she will do it. Like there won't be a need to cajole her or, you know, bribe her. It's like she will be ready just like, we all were, obviously, you know, we all did these things. So that was super helpful. And even though that was like, you know, I don't know how many years ago, 10 years ago, um, I, I play that in my mind for almost all of these transitions that what are the signs of readiness as I think I understand them? Um, what am I maybe not seeing? You know, what's unique to this child? Because we're weighing all of those things to support this rite of passage. Uh, and it's normal, I think, as humans to have our own thoughts and feelings, again, about the timeline. And something like toilet training, man, I mean, we're all, we all get it. Like, how many more diapers do we want to change? You know, you've got this kid that is, you know, not pooping like a baby and needing your help with that. And it can be frustrating um, to have to keep doing that. And it's so easy for us, right? And I catch myself doing it like, just go poop in the toilet, Ava. I know you can do it. And that's not fair. I don't say that out loud, but I do think it because I know she could. Like I physically know she knows how to like hold her poop and then she knows when she would want to let it go. I know she can do that part. But again, that's only one phase of her readiness. She's not emotionally ready. And if you met Deva, um, she is the baby in our house. Uh, Cove is sort of a grown-up kid. And um, again, it's not a comparison. It could be that Cove ends up pooping in a potty before Deva uh, because they are just so different uh, personality-wise. And so Deva is a baby. She has relished being the baby. Um, she's three years younger than her older sister, which is the biggest gap we have. So she was the baby and she loves being the baby. And, you know, it's cute and I mean, it's just all the things like, I don't even know what it is. It's just Deva. It's just the way she is. And I know it won't last forever. Of course, she's not going to poop in a diaper forever. So here we are. We're just hanging out and we probably mention it every day. But what is there to do? Um, I'm not going to force this child. I wouldn't even know how to force her. And total transparency. We've tried bribing. We've tried like, we'll do this with you or we'll buy you this toy. Nope, not interested. So uh, there's me being honest, trying to force that rite of passage sometimes. 
And then I really have to catch myself. And it's like, why? (laughs) Why do I care this much, you know? Um, Well, the obvious reasons, just buying more diapers, you know, kind of always having to deal with that. But hey, that's, that's life. And so finding my own patience and just supporting her where she needs to be supported feels like the most important. And certainly, you know, about to turn three isn't anything crazy if we're going to put like a timeline on it. Um, You know, I haven't had this experience, but I've certainly known people whose children wore diapers for a lot longer than that, especially at night. Um, And so, you know, I don't even know what that's about. And and I'm not saying there isn't a time to like facilitate in a in a stronger way, kind of like the night weaning. Um, I'm sure there is. And I'm sure many of you have heard or experienced, you know, different ways of facilitating toilet training. I just haven't. And maybe I'll learn something, you know, maybe it'll feel like we're at a point where she does need kind of more concrete, like coaching or help. And when I think back to the other children, actually, um, they really just encouraged each other. Like, it, maybe that's why I've not felt like it was something as a parent I needed to do. Uh, usually just kids watching other kids. They're encouraged and they want to be like the older sibling um, or the older sibling will kind of take it on, which is funny and be like, I want to help you. Like, let's pee in the potty together or whatever it is. So I don't know, to be continued there. Um, but that's my experience thus far. And again, it doesn't mean I have I know anything at all. These are just my kids. These are my experiences. You'll have your own. And that's why it's all so beautiful and strange and why we can learn so much from each other. So that's that. Um, I'm feeling like I want to be done with this podcast. I guess one more uh, rite of passage that I really have enjoyed and found initially when it first happened sort of shocking in its potency um, was losing teeth. So I don't know how you all feel about that. I mean, when I was a kid, I remember it was fun to lose teeth. I remember the feeling and it's kind of exciting and then it feels different in your mouth. You know, you all know. And then the tooth fairy, if you do that. And so I don't know, no big deal, right? But with my own kids, I was just surprised at how much I felt like, whoa, gone is the little baby tooth. You know, gone is that tiny little thing that you had from day one inside your mouth, even up in your gum. And now, wow, like adult tooth, you know, that tooth will be with you till you were old and gray. There's just something like, whoa. And I don't know that kids, you know, even feel that. But as a mother, I was shocked at how seriously I took the tooth losing thing. Um, So Amelia, of course, was the first to lose teeth. And she, yeah, she's a sensitive, she was a sensitive child, but not like overly sensitive. So maybe that's why it was even more shocking that she was really emotional when she lost her first tooth. Like, I mean, now that I'm in birth work, it was a lot like having a baby. I know that sounds maybe overly dramatic, but you know, the tooth is loose. Does she pull it? Does she like facilitate the birth or does she just wait? Like she had to decide these things for herself um, and, and work with her own body. What was she feeling? Was it painful when she pulled? Like all the things. So even then, um, you know, my, my MO was just to support in the way the body does it in that case. Uh, so yeah, let's not yank it out um, unless you want to. I mean, it's your tooth, but 
let just let your body do it. Like your body will do it. Your body knows how to eject a tooth. That's just the fact of the matter. Uh, so I think it's such a cool thing to think about, isn't it? As a young child, a five, six, seven-year-old child, like control, like your body changing, literally like under your fingers, um, a tooth, you know, being something that you've had and is now falling out. Like it's sort of freaky. Uh, how many people out there have like weird tooth falling out dreams? I certainly do sometimes because it's like, I think it's just in us as something that is very weird. And of course, if you're an adult, you know, you don't want that to happen. And the, and the feeling is so like palpable and memorable, even though we're most of us many, many decades past losing our baby teeth, right? It's something that sticks with us. So there is something huge about it on every level, spiritually, emotionally, um, physically, it is a huge transition. And, uh, you know, if you follow any of like the Waldorf stuff, um, it's really a sign, like it's a sign that the child is ready to move on to their next phase, usually like their seven year phase and they're ready to start learning and reading. Um, It's one of like the actual physical signs of readiness. So uh, anyway, back to Amelia, she was sort of freaked out. And, you know, like I said, kind of worked through that whole thing of like, what do I do? And what if it does this and that? And so here's the funny part of the story. She swallowed the tooth, like she was so worked up and so nervous, kind of like that she would screw it up or I don't know what, um, that she swallowed the tooth. So her first tooth we never saw. And she laughs about it now. And, you know, not all of my kids have been as serious. Um, True lost teeth recently and he's just an easygoing kid. It was fun and exciting for him. Uh, He was so proud of himself. It, It didn't seem to come with like, you know, Um, anything deeper that I could sense, but still a big deal. It was a big deal for me to know that like my littlest boy has now big boy teeth. Um, But Ever, who's younger than him, lost, I think, two teeth in a row, like literally one day and then the next day. And she was very much like Amelia. It was like a little labor for her. And she was like checking back and, you know, letting me know what was going on. And oh, there was blood on the tissue. And oh, it was moving this way. And Anyway, um, but it was fun. It was fun to support her through that. And I wonder, of course, with my girls, you know, if I get the honor of supporting them through any births um, of their own babies, you know, how much of this kind of comes back as rite of passage, like, you know, these roles that we play. Um, So I think supporting kids through teeth losing can be really fun and really surprising and really deep and really uh, crazy, intentional and really a place of wisdom for them, which is ultimately how I end up feeling um, because they go through all these things kind of like a labor and it alters their physical state and emotionally they might be upset um, ever was like, no tooth, like I don't want you to leave. And they kind of know, you know, it means I'm growing up and then they do it. They do it and it's done and they're proud of themselves and suddenly you know, life goes on, even though they're different, right? So isn't that always kind of the way with a rite of passage that we go through it, it can be whatever, whatever we think it's going to be. And then we're done, we're through it and something else will be coming. And that's childhood. And that's mothering. That's mothering in a nutshell, that there's always, you know, if we're lucky, 
um, something else coming that is exciting and new and will bring so many changes to ourselves as mothers, to these children, to our families, and just embracing that. I think that's uh, what I remind myself to, like this is life, these little moments, these tooth losing moments, these Dave, won't you ever use the toilet moments are life. They're why we're here. Um, and it's not just about getting to the next goal, even though it's easy to feel like it is. And just like life, you know, once we get there, everything will be fine. Once David uses the toilet, life will be better. No, it'll still be great. It'll still be life. Um, so how do we support our children? Um, how do we support ourselves? And then even with partners, you know, how do we do that together? I don't have the answers, just working through it myself. And this podcast has gotten way too long. So I hope you've enjoyed uh, these at least early rites of passage. And, you know, perhaps there will be another podcast for those of you that have older children, because obviously I didn't really hit on any of the older rites of passage. Um, Like I mentioned reading, I think that's a huge one. Um, Just independence to do things alone. Obviously, first cycles, you know, puberty, um, first boyfriends, first girlfriends, whatever. Uh, Driving, like there's so many more that I could touch on that I'm currently in. But I think I'll save that. And maybe we'll do an older children or, you know, teenager kind of rites of passage. But today, hope you enjoyed this little review. And um, I'd love to hear from you. Marin at IndieBirth.org is always a great way to reach me. I get back to emails as quickly as I can. And then of course, um, this new social network. So one more time, social.indiebirth.org. We'll see you there. Have a great day. 